Today's episode is brought to you by the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card. To learn more, visit usbank.com slash altitude go. One of the challenges of traveling is managing your money. If you're tired of getting crushed by bank fees and exchange rates, you need to check out wise.com. I have been a customer for over 10 years. This is the easiest way to connect all of your finances internationally. It's been essential for me first as a traveler, then later as a digital nomad and an expat living abroad, running a business from around the world. You get one account, which allows you to send, spend, and convert money internationally, all without hidden fees or exchange rate markups. You can join 16 million customers, learn how the Wise account can work for you by downloading the app or visiting wise.com slash travel. That's wise.com slash travel. Thank you to Wise for supporting today's show. This episode of Zero to Travel is brought to you by the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder with seven drive modes. The Pathfinder's available intelligent 4x4 is built for even the most epic journeys. Learn more at nissanusa.com. And we looked at each other and we were just like, you know what? This is the hardest moment of our trip. We don't have money. We don't have a fridge. Like this RV is already broken down multiple times while we've been traveling. We have a choice to make. That was a clip from my interview today with Alyssa Paget, who was sharing a pivotal low moment in their journey. And you're going to hear how this defining moment and the decision they made led not only to them building their life of travel, but to meeting a lot of their best friends. And this moment happened during the trip that kickstarted their, shall we say, unconventional lifestyle. Back in 2014, Alyssa convinced her husband Heath to take her to all 50 states for their honeymoon, and they did it all in an RV. And during that trip, they ended up directing, producing, and starring in a documentary film about that 50-state honeymoon where Heath was working a different hourly job in each state. It's called Hourly America, and they ended up being featured on CBS, CNN, Fox, all these major publications. And it really all started with this idea of a quest to go to all 50 states. And we talk about that, why you should consider structuring your trip around a particular goal or a quest, no matter how small or big that is. We get into how much the RV lifestyle costs, and Alyssa shares her best advice for people considering the full-time RV travel lifestyle, why she thinks it's such a special way to travel, also a few off-the-beaten-path destinations that more people should know about, how assigning your problems to your future self can help you accomplish more right now and cut down on stress. She shares lessons from their journey from the status quo nine to five to the unconventional full-time travel lifestyle, why the joys and the struggle and the challenge, her number one piece of advice around finding balance around work and travel, some advice for letting go of a dream that you've had for a while, how they built and sold three businesses, some thoughts around building a location-independent business with an exit strategy, and loads more in this interview. You're going to love it. Plus, what was the first RV-like vehicle and when was it invented? You're not going to believe the answer after I dove in and did some research. Plus, a shout out to somebody in this community who has found a way to not feel so lonely while she's traveling and those times when, when you need other people, which is a big theme of this show. All of that happening and much more right now. Buckle up, strap in, thanks for being here, and welcome to the Zero to Travel podcast, my friend. Hey. 
You're listening to the Zero to Travel podcast, where we explore exciting travel-based work, lifestyle, and business opportunities, helping you to achieve your wildest travel dreams. And now your host, world wanderer and travel junkie, Jason Moore. Hey, what's up? It's Jason with ZeroToTravel.com. Welcome to the show, my friends. Thanks for hanging out, letting me bring a little travel into your ears today. This is the show to help you travel the world on your terms to fill your life with as much travel as you desire, no matter what your situation or experience. That's what us travelers want to do, right? We want to fill our lives with travel. And my guest today, Alyssa Paget, has certainly found her own unique way to do that with her family. And now they have two kids. But it all started with this crazy trip I talked about at the top, this quest to visit all 50 states. And it's incredible these sort of twists and turns that this trip took, not just the trip itself, but but really where it took them in life and how they ended up in some places where they never would have expected if they had not gone on this journey in the first place. So we get into all that and you can read about this journey and the mishaps and what it was really like to hit the open road with her husband at that point in their life, despite their lack of savings. They had an old RV that was falling apart. They found on Craigslist and they had never RV'd before. So (laughs) there's plenty going on on that journey. You can read all about it in her new book, RVing Across America, A Quest to Visit All 50 States, which just came out last week. And I've linked that in the show notes for you. I know you're going to love this chat And please stick around on the back end. I'm going to give a shout out to somebody in this listening community who's out there doing the solo travel thing, but finding a way to not feel so alone during those tough times. You'll hear about that. Plus, I'm going to share with you the first RV-like vehicle when it was made. Take a guess. Here's a little trivia for you. Guess a year. When was the first RV-like vehicle made? I was surprised by the answer to this question. And of course, I'll leave you with a quote to wrap it all up. Now let's slip and slide into this interview with Alyssa and I will see you on the other side, my friend. What part of Italy are you in, by the way? We're in San Vincenzo, which is like an hour south of Pisa. Okay. And, you know, the million-dollar question, of course, with two kids is, how was the flight? (laughs) So, you know, I feel like it's a parent joke to be like, oh, we have like the first kid who doesn't require sleep to live. Now I know that we literally do. Because our daughter slept like two hours in like a 30-hour period and like we get here and she's like sprinting up and down the beach and the waves playing. And I'm like, I I physically don't understand how it is possible for you to have this much energy right now. But she, yeah, the flight itself was like super easy. The kids were great. It was just getting here and being jet lagged and convincing them to sleep. That was surprisingly hard. Yeah. Well, I took my daughter to Mallorca when she was two, which was kind of crazy. She had just turned two. It was just me and her. And she was such a trooper. I mean, kids are so adaptable. We were we didn't get into the hotel until like three in the morning. And it was the same sort of experience, like bright eyed, bushy tail, 
hey, you know, oh, cool, new place, you know. I, I was just like, aren't you ready to pass out and melt down? So anyway, <laughs> I'm flying to the States soon. So this is, uh, this is good news for me because I feel like it gives me some hope because, you know, every parent's fear is the flight and the length of travel time and how that's going to go. I mean, well, there are a lot more other fears than that, I guess. But, you know, in terms of uh, it's, it's much easier back in the day to sit on the plane and just kick back and read a magazine, watch a movie, sleep. It's a whole different ballgame when you got the family with you. Well, let me give you a little introduction here. When my guest today realized the highlight of her day was eating chocolate alone at her desk, <laughs> she knew it was time to make a change but didn't expect that change to be moving into an RV and visiting all 50 states during her first year of marriage. Today, we'll hear stories from her new book, RVing Across America, get key lessons she learned from that trip that can help you in your own travels, advice for making the transition to travel, some of her favorite off-the-beaten-path destinations in America, how to run a successful business on the road, practical RV tips for travel, and much more. You can check out her work at heathandalyssa.com. And of course, we'll link to the book as well as the website in the show notes. So Alyssa Paget, welcome to the Zero to Travel podcast, my friend. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. <laughs> so excited to have you here. Congrats on the book. I mean, no, no small thing to write a book. Because I read you did want to be a writer. I mean, that was kind of one of the things you wanted to do when you went on that trip. So how has it been for you to just kind of fulfill that, that dream? Have a couple books out now and you're, you're a writer. <laughs> Yeah, it's kind of weird because uh, writing this book, I went back with all of my journals and things that I started writing whenever we started traveling. And that was something that I saw like repeated all the time. Like, I want to be a writer. I want to be a writer. And I like, faintly remember that. But now it's been so many years that I've been blogging and that I've been writing for other companies. And this is my second book. And now writing, trying to write and encapsulate that feeling now that I've kind of quote unquote made it to like that dream um, life, that dream job is like a really weird spot to mentally put yourself in. Cause you're like, gosh, how did it feel when this was still just a dream? And how can I like get myself out of my, my, my current mindset of like writing is just what I do every day to being that person that had no idea how to start, where to start, how can I actually make this into a job and something that I can make money from. So I went through as I was like writing the book, and I feel like I really started to remember just how much of a struggle it was learning just like the how, the how do people do this? It's like, oh, I read books all the time. I read a stat the other day that there's 4,500 books published every single day on Amazon. Like that's so much content being pushed out there, but I struggled for a long time just, you know, figuring out how to, how to make that happen. So that's a big theme of the book, I think. Yeah. I mean, when it comes to a dream like that, like I want to be a writer or I want, you know, in my case, I, I was fixated on this podcast thing. I think that would be so cool. It's, uh, it's kind of easy to romanticize the lifestyle around that, right? It's like, all right, well, you know, I think writing, oh, I want to, you know, hole up in a cabin and, um, you know, look at look at the waterfalls out, out my window and, and just write the next great America. And the reality is, like you said, the struggle, right? Which is where I think that the joy of the craft comes in, 
right? Because part of the joy is the struggle in some odd way. You know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. If it was like completely easy all the time, then it's just like, okay, I'm bored. I need something that's going to, you know, challenge me a little bit. And that's why I love being like a constant content creator where like you're always writing like thousand word blog posts, 500 word blog posts to then write a book. You're like, oh, okay. This is like leveling up, making it a little bit harder, stretching those skills. And it's the eating the elephant one bite at a time situation, I think, when it comes to the book. Well, there is a lot packed into this book. And I mean, first of all, how was it to write a, a personal memoir and relive some of that stuff? It was emotionally exhausting in a very like weird way because it's not just like you, f- you feel everything again when you're writing it. Like I'm writing about us driving on the Pacific Coast Highway and our engine is overheating and I'm feeling the stress as I'm, I'm typing it. But it's also like, oh man, someone else is going to have to read this. Someone else is going to like be reading my thoughts and how can I quote unquote like edit them to you know, make myself sound good? How, how do I make myself not sound stupid? How do I make people read this book and not be like, wow, this girl is a complete idiot. I hate her, you know? So like, there's all these emotions playing in of like your actual emotions in the moment. And then your actual emotions of realizing that someone else is going to be reading the thoughts in your head. Mm. Yeah. And I mean, part of that I think is that's a big struggle within itself, right? Like how can I, how can I create without being self-conscious in, in a particular way where, Hey, let me just put honesty out there, whether it's through a podcast or through a book or whatever, and just, just be honest, be vulnerable and let people think what they think. Not always an easy thing to do. No, it's, it's very rarely easy. I think that it comes with time. Whenever we first started blogging and we started going on this 50 state adventure, and there's a chapter um, in my book on this, we got a lot of media attention. So like thousands and thousands of people were just, you know, skimming these short articles about us on like the front page of Yahoo, for example. And you see the comments coming in from, you know, these complete strangers who don't know you, who don't know your full story. They just read the headline or whatever. And they leave all these comments of like, oh, like these entitled Americans or like these like stupid kids are going to like drive off a cliff or um, the most popular one was like, they're not even going to make it through their honeymoon before they get divorced. And so like you get all this like barrage of comments from people all sharing their opinions on your life. And I think the longer you blog and put yourself out there and get the comments like that, it really just desensitizes you in a lot of ways to like those offhand flippant things where you can be like, okay, like people are always going to say mean things on the internet, especially whenever it's news articles or blogs or podcasts, things like that, that are like short consumable things. But people are rarely that mean about books. At least that is what I've repeated to myself the whole time that I've read this book. <laughs> well, I actually think that's a pretty important lesson, you know, 
for for me to remember for anybody listening that is putting themselves out there or plans has plans to put themselves out there in a certain way i think there are things we all want to create right and it's like that is a muscle you can build even if you feel that oh i'm so exposed or if i put this out it's going to be you know how is it going to be taken or what's my family going to think and all this and I agree. Like the more you do it, the more it be kind of like use the word desensitizes you. I agree. Just kind of, you're just like, okay, uh, what I do is try to filter out the, the BS from the actual constructive criticism and, and take it to heart if I get, you know, particular comments or things like that. But if you put something out into to the world, you got to take a risk that, you know, people have the ability now anywhere in the world to comment on these things. And it's just something you have to get used to. And the only way to really do that is to buy doing it, I think. <laughs> yeah, you've got to get knocked down a few times and get back up again yeah. before you can really get over the mountain. <laughs> nice Chumbawamba reference, by the way. <laughs> There's really not enough in our in today's age. <laughs> there Chumbawamba. are not enough Chumbawamba references. <laughs> <laughs> I want to talk about your transition to travel, a hot topic on this show, because that is more nuanced than it appears on the surface. Like you mentioned, being on the front page of Yahoo or some of those shorter articles you see where it's like, you know, couple or person, you know, quit their job and make $60,000 a month doing blah, blah, blah. And it's like this snappy little article. And you're like, well, wait, hold on here. There's kind of a lot to unpack between, you know, realizing you're like not satisfied in your regular life and then making the change and deciding what to do and everything like that. And I know for you, you said you said in the book you had he lasted like a full seven months in the quote unquote real world before you recognize that the only way to get unstuck is to do something dramatic. And this idea of doing something dramatic is a great way to to just kind of do a, a complete 180 in your life. I mean, for you guys, that was the RV trip, but it didn't come right away. So I wanted to hear a little bit more about that time in your life where where you were kind of with the job and like the things going on in your head and, and then how you sort of started moving towards the next version of your life. So I graduated college December 2012. And I immediately had uh, like an interim job position that I went into like the week after I graduated. And then I worked that for a few months. And then I had already had another job lined up that involved me moving to New Orleans. So I was kind of like in this in between where I was like staying in Texas and working. And then like my adventurous life was going to start of me like moving to a new city, to a new state. And you know, it's not traveling, like I'm, I'm moving there, but it felt like traveling because I was moving out of state and I'd never lived out of state before. Um, but in that little in-between time of graduating and moving, Keith and I started dating. And it was like, like quickly apparent, like this is the person that I'm going to marry. And I think that really set up what was going to then be my dissatisfaction with working in an office job in New Orleans, because instead of it being that I moved to this awesome city and I'm here on my own and I'm like striking out, it's like, gosh, like my person is a thousand miles away and like, I want to go do life with him. And so I lived in New Orleans for six months 
before I moved back to Texas with this idea that Heath and I were going to get married and we were going to go do this, this travel thing together. And we were going to somehow afford it. We did not have a plan since I'd quit my job. He did not like his office job in Texas. He was ready to quit his as well. And we just sat down and we were like, well, if we can't really afford to travel, like, let's go back to this idea. Like, let's just move somewhere new. And so we were trying to figure out, well, okay, well then where do we move? And within those cities, like Los Angeles, for example, where within that city do we move? Like we We've never been there together. So we need to, you know, travel there, figure out where to move, then find a spot to live. And we had narrowed down five possible places um, from Los Angeles all the way to North Carolina. So they were kind of spread out all over the country. And we we're just looking at, okay, well, are we going to visit all five of these places and travel to them and then pick which one we want to move to? And, you know, maybe that could be like our honeymoon of traveling to all these places. And I was just kind of this really convoluted idea of like, I don't know, I don't know how we're going to make this work, but here's kind of what we're thinking. And I kind of just stopped Heath like mid conversation. I was like, no, like, let's not plan on just driving from Los Angeles to North Carolina and finding out where we want to live. Like if we're going to make a big jump like this let's just hit everything and like in retrospect I'm like for a a broke 23 year old who's like planning a wedding um not a very responsible decision right like it would have been much smarter for us to say okay let's pick one of these five places and let's just like take a leap of faith and and move there. Um, But that idea just got in my head. Like if we're going to have to drive across the country to see which of these five places we want to move to, let's just hit all 50 states. um, Just, you know, knock them out real quick in one year and it'll be great. And it's very unlike me to throw out something that big and wild and ambitious. Um, It is very much a Heath idea. So it took him about two seconds to be like, yes, that is what we're doing. And I mean, at that point, like you're locked in. Um, And so we decided, okay, we're, we're done with this office life. Heath put in his notice at his job and we were like, we're going to go to all 50 States and we just have to, you know, find a way to make it happen on our $0 a month salary. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by U.S. Bank. Recently, I went out for tacos and it wasn't even Friday. Yes, we have Taco Friday in Norway, not Taco Tuesday. Well, more importantly, I could have earned rewards for every scrumptious bite of those chorizo soft shells. Introducing the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card. Earn four times points when you go out for dining or order takeout and restaurant delivery, including tacos. Plus, you can earn two times points when you shop for or order your groceries, two times points when you need to fill up or charge up at gas stations and EV charging stations. You're even rewarded with two times points just for your favorite streaming services. Go to usbank.com slash altitude. Go! To learn more about how you can earn 20,000 bonus points worth $200 if you spend $1,000 in the first 90 days of opening your account. Win big with the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card. Visit usbank.com slash altitude go to apply. 
Limited time offer. The creditor and issuer of this card is U.S. Bank National Association, pursuant to a license from Visa USA, Inc. Some restrictions may apply. This episode of Zero to Travel is presented by the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder. From muddy jungle paths and snowy trails to rolling sand dunes, the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder has the capability to take you to some of the most epic destinations on Earth. We're excited to partner with Nissan because our listeners know we love to celebrate the joy of exploring the world and finding the best off-the-beaten-path destinations to visit. And there's no better vehicle for that than the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder. With seven drive modes, the Pathfinder's available intelligent 4x4 is built for even the most epic journeys, and it even has the best towing capacity in its class, up to 6,000 pounds, so you can bring the fun with you. But Nissan also knows that it's not just about where you go. In a Pathfinder, the real fun comes from getting there, and that's something we love celebrating here on the Zero to Travel podcast. We believe that life is about finding that joy within the journey itself, and that's why We're thrilled to partner with Nissan to celebrate adventurers everywhere. So thanks again to Nissan for sponsoring this episode of Zero to Travel and for the reminder to chase bigger, better, more exciting adventures and enjoy the ride along the way. Learn more at NissanUSA.com. Now, back to the show. That's sort of the next question because you did make it happen and you did it through a unique project and everything like that, which you can talk about. But at that moment in time when you had the intention, you knew you were going to do it, but you didn't really have the means to do it with. What did you lean on? You know, for some people that might be like, uh, oh, I have, you know, faith in the universe that something will get worked out, or I have belief in myself that I can figure it out now. Um, I mean, you have to have some kind of faith or belief, I feel, to to know you're going to pull it off. Otherwise, it's just sort of an idea and and it it won't happen. I mean, or not. Maybe you just kind of took it one day at a time. I don't know. Where was your mindset back then? Well, I really can't emphasize enough that we were 23. I think it was a lot of just naivety about like the world and just like, like blind, oh, I'm going to do it. All right. Yeah. Let's do just it. Just blind <laughs> stupidity of like other people go to all 50 states. We could do it. It can't cost yeah. that much money. <laughs> um, it did. But we did have like, I had savings too, which is how we were then able to buy an RV, um, a very old RV off of Craigslist. So I think in my mind when I made this additional plan was like, Oh, like I've got some money that we can spend. And then, um, all of it went towards the RV. (laughs) Right. And then just figuring out the rest. Yeah. We'll figure it out. (laughs) Heath and I have said this all the time and we got it from an episode of how I met your mother, but it's just, that is a problem for future Heath and Alyssa to figure out. We say this all the time. We're in Italy right now. We have like two weeks of our trip that have not been planned. I realized that I booked Heath and I's flights on different days out of the country. So right now I'm flying out with the kids on one day and he's flying out another day. I'm just like, you know what? That's a problem for future Heath and Alyssa. <laughs> We're going to figure that out later. <laughs> I like that. You can kind of set it aside and and like mentally just take the load off for a little while. The tagline in your book is a quest to visit all 50 states. And I feel like you may have used the word quest very intentionally. I, I don't know. I mean, this was certainly a framework for the trip. And I'm just wondering how that felt 
for you? Like if you were kind of talking to somebody that maybe wanted to design a framework for their trip, right? Like visiting all 50 states or visiting every national park, it doesn't even have to be that grand, right? It could be like a trip around your state where I'm going to go to every, you know, whatever. It's, you know, I'm going to go to these 10 waterfalls, you know, in these state parks, whatever it is, there's something about a quest uh, that's different than just sort of an open-ended kind of thing. I'm not saying it's better or worse. It's just different. So I'm just wondering for you what your experience is with having it, having that trip set up as, as like a quest. Well, I can tell you this, that scientifically it is better to have a quest, to have like this thing, this goal that you're working toward. And I read this in um, Chris Gillibo's book, uh, The Happiness of Pursuit. And it's about how having a quest, having this bigger thing that you're pursuing, whether it's we'll use travel as an example, it could be anything, how you find more happiness in going somewhere, pursuing XYZ goal when you have this bigger thing that it's a part of. We're going to North Dakota. Is it just going to North Dakota? It's a part of making it to all 50 states. And that's a book that actually came out while we were going to all 50 states. Um, and so we, I remember reading it on the beach in Maine and being like, this is perfectly encapsulating what I'm feeling as we're traveling to all 50 states, because Heath and I have had years where after we went to all 50 states, where we we're kind of just traveling wherever we, we wanted. And it's a very different feeling than whenever you have some sort of goal that you're working towards, where everything is just slightly more fulfilling um, on like an emotional, mental level, whenever it's not just doing something because you love it or because you want to go there or whatever, but because this is a part of this greater goal that I want to accomplish with my life. And so whenever we were talking about, um, you know, the subtitle for the book, I had said like, oh, we should call it like going to all 50 states. And he's like, no, it's really about the quest to go to all 50 states because you never know when you're on a quest, if you're actually going to make it. And if you're actually going to get to that pinnacle that goal that you're working towards it kind of almost implies that there's going to be a struggle along the way and I just loved when I was reading that book and I reread some of it um, as I was writing my own book about how just having that extra added purpose adds a lot of joy to your life because scientists have studied it I don't know how reputable these scientists are <laughs> but it's a good book and I loved the concept of it yeah, cool. Thanks for thanks for sharing that. I mean, like, yeah, it's a very, of course, personal experience for for the traveler. I mean, like on the other side, I was 24 when I took my first solo trip. And for me, I really it was really fulfilling to not have any agenda and to just have totally open-ended. Like, I don't know where I'm gonna even be next week. I don't know where I'm staying. I don't know. And like that was a that's the other side of it, right? There's like sort of like the the open-ended nature. So I I do think there's a part of it that whatever the science says, I think it, it, you know, it's very much can be a thing that is also based on kind of like where you're at in your life and what drives you in that moment and things like that. I wanted to talk about it because I do think as a concept, it's really cool to have a framework. And I think that that's something like 
I kind of like both personally, you know, I, I find fulfillment in both for different ways. And, um, I just think it's a cool idea. And for people listening, you know, it may be something they want to consider doing if they haven't done it before. The trip morphed into this mission, not just to visit 50 states, but then to like work a job in every state and film a documentary and all this stuff. If you want to give everybody just a quick overview of, of kind of what it turned into, and then I want to ask you some questions around that, if that's okay. Yeah. So like I said, $0 a month salary. This was our, <laughs> this was our big plan. We we're going to go to all 50 states and um, be broke. So Heath came up with this idea. He was talking to a friend um, that Heath was just going to work a job in each state as we were traveling. And that idea morphed over the um, over a few weeks of he not only decided that he was going to work a job in each state, but he found a job board that was going to sponsor him doing this. And he was going to work all of the jobs for free for one day. So no tax implications. He was basically just volunteering at all of these companies. And then um, this job board was going to sponsor us and actually pay us to make it happen so we could have a little bit of income. Yeah. Cool idea. And the part of that was Heath wanting to kind of explore his own entrepreneurial sort of vision and just try to see the things he likes and, and he didn't like. Right. But, but of course it's both of you. And if you're going to film a documentary and all that, then you, you know, somebody has to handle the camera and there's, there's a lot more to it than, than that. And I'm just wondering, cause one of the things you said in the book is you said where I saw it as distracting from the joy of travel, Heath saw it as a platform for his future entrepreneurial endeavors. And I'm just wondering how the experience was overall, like obviously in the end, hindsight's what do they say 2020 <laughs> right 2020 is perfect vision yeah. i don't know i think anytime you do something you miss out on something else of course that's just the nature of travel you can't do it all so i'm just wondering with that experience how that was for you guys in your first year of marriage as newlyweds kind of thrown in with this big project but also traveling at the same time i, I don't want to say was it worth it because i feel like the answer is yes because you're happy with your life but you know if you're if you're thinking back there are probably some things you missed out on too. So um, just choosing that experience over other ones. So I'm just wondering, yeah, maybe what some of the pros and cons were around that decision and then the ex the actual experience looking back. Yeah. If you want to travel full time and you need to make money while you're traveling, don't wait to learn the skills you need to make money until you're actually traveling. Like figure that out ahead of time. We jumped in. I had literally zero experience running a camera and just jumped into filming this documentary. And it was an adventure, which is what we wanted. Like we wanted something to challenge us after having these office jobs that were just very boring and monotonous and didn't feel like we were growing at all. And so in that way, it was like really good, but it was this just a little bit of added stress on top of like, I don't know how to dump tanks in an RV and how to drive this giant bus and I don't know how to film. And I, it was, it was like a lot of learning, um, really, really fast. Um, which in retrospect was like this great immeasurably beneficial experience, but in the moment was definitely stressful, like so many things in life. Right. Um, but yeah, now I know, now I feel like I'm rambling instead of answering your question. Sorry. No, no, that's great. I mean, yeah, you're basically you're thrown into the fire and you're going to get burned, but you're you're forced to 
develop, become resourceful, figure things out. And I'm just wondering, yeah, I guess the stressful piece of that, you know, trying to figure out the whole RV lifestyle thing and then adding all of that on top, you know, worth it in the end. But what what were some of the the tough parts about that? And and would you change anything if 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 you could look looking back? Looking back, I would have watched a documentary. Very basic. If you're gonna <laughs> film a documentary, why don't you sit down and watch one? I mean, like I like mm-hmm. watched The Office, so I'm like, oh, you know, I kind of know what a documentary is like. Um, not the same. <laughs> Not the same at all. But we also went in and we were like, we want to film a documentary about Heath working in all 50 states, but we don't have like a direction or like a a vision. Like we weren't going to be like, we want to prove that the hourly wage should be this across the country, or we want to say this specific thing about hourly workers. We're kind of like, eh, we're just going to work all these jobs and we'll see like what the overarching theme is going to be which made it a little bit easier in some ways to film because it was like oh just you know film whatever is interesting in the moment we'll figure out like the overarching vision later Um, but then we had to edit the documentary and then it was like okay we have all these different directions of different ideas that we pursued at different times versus saying in the beginning, okay, you know what? Our goal is just going to be to tell the stories of people that we meet across the country, which is kind of what we landed on in the end in editing. And if we had set it up like that in the beginning, then we could have told a lot more stories and gotten in a little bit deeper with a lot of people. Um, But we didn't figure that out until a little bit later. Um, But yeah, it was really just us grasping at straws and trying a little bit of everything. And if we had just kind of zoomed out a little bit and been like, okay, let's watch a couple documentaries and see, you know, how they handle this complex issue and choose like one part of it to focus on, um, that would have been a lot easier. But looking back now, Heath and I are like, why did we make a documentary about the jobs? We should have made a documentary about RV life. That's way more interesting to people. But again, mm. hindsight. Sure. I mean, the fact of the matter is you guys went out and did it, which is super cool. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you know, you still went out, you did it, you made a documentary, uh, you worked a job in every state, right? Uh, I mean, pretty incredible. And, and you did it all within a year, right? Within a calendar year? Is, is that, or within a 365 day period? Almost. We left on May 28th and we were in Alaska on like June 6th. So it's like a year and a week. <laughs> yeah, pretty much a year. Calling it a year. Pretty much a year. Amazing. I, I will link to that documentary as well. It's called Hourly America. During that year, what was the most defining moment in your life? Feeling a lot of pressure to say my wedding day just seems like the right answer. Um, <laughs> But there was a day about halfway through our trip where we were really close to just broke in our bank account. Like we had money coming in. I had started getting freelance writing gigs. We had this sponsorship for the documentary. Um, And we were feeling like, you know what? We're on state 21, about halfway 
it's starting to feel like we're actually going to make it. Um, and we were leaving Missouri and I walked outside and I was packing in, or I was walking into the RV, not outside. And I was packing up all of our stuff to leave. And I opened up the refrigerator and it was not cold. And I opened up the freezer and it just smelled rancid, like spoiled meat. And it was just one of those moments where I like looked at Heath and we did some quick Google searching and it was going to be $1,500 to get a new fridge for the RV, like an RV specific fridge. And we just looked at each other like, we don't have the money to replace this. Like we need a fridge, obviously, um, to live. And this was, you know, before the um, really cool, like travel coolers that are also refrigerators like that, that Dometic makes were like a common thing. So like we didn't know of any other solution than an actual cooler to actually keep food cold in our, in our home. And we looked at each other and we were just like, you know what? This is the hardest moment of our trip. We don't have money. We don't have a fridge. Like this RV is already broken down multiple times while we've been traveling. We have a choice to make. We can go home to Texas or, and this was Heath's idea, we could go to Nashville, Tennessee, where he had just seen on Twitter that um, Chris Gillibo, who I mentioned earlier, was actually doing a book signing for his book, The Happiness of Pursuit. And he's like, if we go to Nashville, it will not solve our refrigerator problem, but we will meet other people who travel and we will meet other people who have the same mindset as we do as far as we want to find a way to travel full time and make money while we're traveling. And he was right. Like it wasn't going to solve our problem on any level, but it was just going to surround us with people who would understand that sometimes like you run up against these walls when you're traveling where it's like, I would never have this problem in a house or I would, I've never encountered an issue like this, um, before. And so we drove to Nashville and we met so many people that night who we are still friends with, like that we caravan with, that our kids are friends just because we made that decision to drive out of the way with our broken refrigerator to go to this book signing. And it was just one of those random, random days where you're like, okay, this was like a big defining moment in my life that I'm going to look back on and be like, this terrible, expensive mistake happened. And somehow because of it, I met all my best friends. Yeah. Wow. That's so powerful. And I love that that defining moment just involves getting around like-minded people. Like you said, I mean, that is so huge for success, you know? I mean, whatever, however you define success, I just feel like, however you define it, getting around others that are kind of in the same boat, maybe pursuing the same goals or, you know, just like-minded in, in certain ways, it's huge. I mean, you guys have done that with your own community to foster that within the RV community, which is one of the the most incredible things about the work that you guys have done is that you've been now been able to, you know, be that connection point for others that 
you know, Chris was at the book signing for you guys. That's fulfilling. Absolutely. Like travel, especially is like such a lonely thing at times. And we felt that on our first year, like other times when we had breakdowns and things like that, we couldn't just run off to Nashville and and make friends. This one, the timing was just perfect. And out of that first year of traveling to all 50 states and seeing that we needed that community, that's what gave Heath the idea to start the RV Entrepreneur Facebook group and podcast and conference and, and all of that, because that is one of the most, I think, underrated things that you need, whether you're going to start your own business or whether you're going to travel or whatever. If you can find other people who are going through a similar journey or who already have gone through a similar journey, they will make the trip, the journey, the the quest, if you will, so much easier because you will have someone that can support you or answer your questions or just listen to you whenever you're like, XYZ happened and it was crazy. And I just needed to tell somebody that would understand. Yeah, I love that. So cool. I wanted to get some RV advice from you because your other book, A Beginner's Guide to Living in an RV, if you want all the ins and outs of the most common questions that you have gotten from RV life, answers those questions. But maybe we could just dive into a little bit of it. First of all, the costs, I think, is the big the big question, cost for RVing across America, because you you keep pretty detailed notes. And what I'm looking for is a, just a bit of a range here that's realistic that most people will fall within because obviously everybody's situation is different and everything like that. Yeah, we averaged over the course of a few years about 2500 a month. And that was insurance, campgrounds, food, eating out, everything in, in one big clump. Our cheapest month, I think, was like $1,500. And our most expensive month was like four or $5,000. And that's when, like right now, gas prices were a lot higher because that's always going to be your biggest cost if you're if you're driving around a bunch. But there's so many ways today to save money on things, especially like camping fees, um, that you can, you can get yourself to a nice, really low number for your month to month for a lot of people who want to RV as a way to save money or like pay off debt. Cause we did have student debt. Whenever, um, we started traveling, you can find those cheaper campsites or use camping memberships or boondock, which is like free camping on public land to then lower those costs and make it more affordable for you. This is where I think it's a sneaky trick. The the full-time travel lifestyle can actually allow you to pay off your student loans more quickly, at least it did for me, than a traditional life. And I think the common perception is that, that that's not the case. But when you're traveling full time, you have the opportunity to constantly adjust your your living. Yeah, that can go either way, of course, but you have control over your monthly costs more so than you know living a traditional life with fixed costs. And then if you get the work going on along the way, it can be huge. How gratifying is it to get those loans paid off and get to travel full time. <laughs> oh yeah. I'm like, I, we paid off our student loan, like our final payment and we're like parked on the beach in Maine and we'd been traveling full time for 
two or three years at that point. Like it was the best feeling in the world to be like, we didn't sit and slave in jobs for 10 years to finally get these student payments paid off. We got to actually travel and do it at the same time, which definitely like from the outsider's perspective, and I'm sure you heard this too, like, oh, it's so irresponsible to like be traveling when you have like this student debt. But in a lot of ways, if you're smart financially, it can allow you to pay it off way faster. Totally agree. And I'm always cautious when I say this because it sounds controversial, right? It's like somebody asked me, should I travel with debt? My answer is yes. (laughs) But of course, it depends on how you do it and how you manage Mm -hmm. your personal finances and stuff like that. It's not a blanket yes, right? But if you hear what we're saying here, I think you get it. Yeah. I always tell Heath, hey, if we like get low on money, we're just going to go to Asia for a few months, stay in like a 300 bucks a month Airbnb (laughs) in Thailand, build it up and then keep traveling. You've always got options. (laughs) That's awesome. When you have that experience of doing that, it's much easier to know that that's an option as well, right? It's one of the benefits of getting out into the world and traveling is you know those options are available to you and that that it's actually an attainable thing. It's not just some crazy idea of, oh, I can just live in Asia, Southeast Asia for three months. Like, no, seriously, I can just go live in Southeast Asia for three months and cut my expenses by X percent, which is empowering because it gives you more sort of flexibility in life. Of course, we are privileged in the sense that our passports allow us to visit there and things like that, which isn't the case for everybody. I'm going to speak for our own situations here. What is your best advice for newbies who are getting ready to get out and do the full-time RV thing? Definitely go on a test trip in an RV, preferably with other people that have RVing experience and get to know the rig. So for Heath and I, we bought the RV, renovated it, aka just painted the inside. And then we like left the state. And if we had just taken a little bit of time with other people who had RV experience, then we could have learned a lot of things like how to not flood your entire RV because you left the tanks closed and you took a shower and now there's water all over the floors. Um, So little things like that, that are just, you know, you never think about whenever you're in a house that if you're going to shower for five minutes, that you're going to fill up your water tank because you don't have a water tank that fills up. And you don't think about like, turning on the hot water heater and waiting for it to get hot. And you don't think about um, that you have to use a special kind of toilet paper. Otherwise, you're going to have to clog the toilet. And then you're going to have to deal with unclogging the toilet, um, Mm. which is not fun um, (laughs) at all. (laughs) Nobody likes unclogging a toilet. (laughs) No, it's, yeah. Oh, man. It's rough. It's rough. But if you take a test trip or rent an RV, even better. Um, because then you can see what type of RV you want before you go and spend tens of thousands of dollars on a big fifth wheel. And then you realize, oh, I actually wanted a small van. And everyone that I've ever met that RV is, is always like, yeah, my second RV that I bought was the perfect RV. The first one, 
here's the 10 reasons why I never should have bought that rig because it didn't work for our lifestyle X, Y, Z. But the second one, I knew what I was doing. So if you rent one, can save you a lot of time and potentially money by helping you kind of figure out what, how RVs work in general, but just what type of rig is actually going to be right for you and what kind of travel you're going to do. That's great advice. Rent the one that you think you want. Chances are that you may end up with a different one later, but at least test it out. I love that. (laughs) Of all the ways you can travel full-time, you can do it in a lot of ways. More than ever now with you know Airbnb and short-term rentals and, and all of this stuff, there's, there's so many options. But what makes the RV travel lifestyle special? You're always home. It is a lot, as I, and I know this even more so now that I'm traveling with two kids. It's a lot to be in a new space every two days, which is how fast we went to like make it to all 50 states in a year. And if you're constantly in like new environments and new places and you've got to, you know, I don't know, add new Wi-Fi passwords or figure out a new um, space, it's a lot mentally, a lot more than you would think. Um, Even being in the RV, but traveling to different RV parks, different campgrounds, it takes up a lot of mental energy that you wouldn't expect it to. Um, and I've heard this from a lot of our, our viewers, especially that like your first year, you always travel too fast because you don't realize how much it mentally takes out of you just going to a new space all of the time. So whenever you have your RV and you've got your kitchen and your bed and your closet and your, all your toiletry stuff is in cabinets versus in your suitcase, um, that you have to pack up every few days. It's so peaceful and and in a different kind of way of like you just have this constant comfort of no matter what no matter where I end up sleeping tonight if it's in a Walmart parking lot or in Grand Teton National Park tucked away in the pine trees I'm comfortable in my own home and I I love Airbnbs like we're in this little house on the sea in Italy and I couldn't have done this um, and I probably could have done this in an RV. I wouldn't have wanted to with a six month old, but I could have, <laughs> but it's just like a totally, um, totally different, totally different thing. So to be able to have the comfort of our own RV when we've traveled in the States, um, there's just nothing I think that compares when it comes to full-time travel. And that's why for Heath and I, when we talk about like, what's next for us now that we've got two kids and we've done all 50 states, almost all of them twice, it's let's RV in other countries because we can still have the comfort of coming back to our own spot, but still have the challenge and the excitement of being in Southern France. And so we've already RV'd Italy, which is why we're in an Airbnb this time. Yeah, cool. Uh, The RVs are a lot smaller here in my experience anyway. Mm -hmm. They are. And and that's good because driving a big RV, we had a 40 foot RV. I'm trying to think of how much that would be in meters. A lot of meters. Um, It's like, it's way too big. They're like bigger than the buses that you see in Italy. And I was constantly stressed. I never drove it. I was constantly stressed just when Heath was driving it in the States. And so the idea of being in a smaller RV here, um, yeah, I'm very excited about that. I would rather have less living space and feel comfortable 
where I'm traveling to. Yeah. I wanted to talk about business lessons. You guys have sold three businesses recently. Congratulations. Super cool. Yes. I, I do want to talk about that a bit, but yeah, first couple questions is just the the traditional setup, traveling and working. I think the most common challenge is finding the balance, of course. Some people think you don't have to find a balance. Other people think, you know, that's a huge there's a huge emphasis on that. There's a lot to balance when you're traveling and working. And then if you throw in the fact that you guys are married and doing things together, and then there's the the there can be the stress of the travels, and then there's work stress, which is different, and all of this stuff. So yeah, and then you're in a small space. So there's the there's mm-hmm. all of that to balance. What is your best advice? Ooh, try to get some sleep. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it's as simple as that. If everybody sleeps, they're happy. I hear you. It's the same in this house anyway. <laughs> if the baby sleeps, we're happy. Yeah. No, I think the most important part of this concept of balance is that you understand in whatever your current situation is that your balance is going to change. So whenever Heath and I were paying off student debt, we were like, okay, the balance is that we're going to travel to 20 states this year and we're going to work on our business and work like full-time work weeks and make enough money, pay off that student debt. And then in the past couple years, it's oscillated to the other end of the spectrum where we're like, okay, we're going to go on two big trips this year that we're going to do for a couple months at a time. And when we're not on those big trips, we're going to be at our house in Colorado and we're going to be heads down working and kind of traveling in seasons. And so figuring out not what just your ideal day looks like, your ideal balance within a day looks like, but figuring out with where you are in life, with how much money you need to make, with if you've got little kids, with how much travel you're wanting to do, what does that balance look like right now? And for Heath and I, it's changed every single year to a different kind of pattern that fits where we are at the moment. And there was a long period of time where we kind of butt heads with like this idea of balance because we wanted to keep doing that 50 states in a year type pace and also be making money. And it just didn't work because we were traveling too much or we were wanting to travel more than our bank account would let us. And so just kind of recognizing that these things come in seasons and some seasons you're going to be hustling with work. Like we've taken advantage of COVID with not being able to travel, be like, okay, this is going to be our time that we're just going to work on our businesses. And then now that travel is becoming more of a possibility, we're like, okay, we're going to just sell all those businesses so that we can now have the time to travel. And so we've just tried to constantly reevaluate what does that balance look like for us and shift as needed. Because if you lock yourself in, to one specific pattern, um, it can get really difficult when big things happen in the world or in life that require a change. 
Cool. Thanks for that. I love that. Uh, this idea of just reevaluation, constant reevaluation and, and reflection and thinking of it in terms of uh, seasons. And I love all of that. Let's take a brief pause. We'll be right back. Would you love to have an incredible cup of coffee every day? I've tried it all. I've done the pour over. I've done the French press. But I tasted an AeroPress coffee many years ago and immediately I was sold. I had to get one. AeroPress is a patented three-in-one brew technology. This combines the flavor benefits of espresso, pour-over, and French press all into one compact portable device built for travel or home. I love things you can use in both places. This device has over 55,000 five-star reviews in over 60 countries. AeroPress is the best-reviewed coffee press on the planet. I've owned one for so many years. I don't even remember how long it's been. And they are under 50 bucks. So they also make an exceptional gift. Thoughtful, proven, tasty, and travel-oriented. Who wouldn't love that? Now, you get 20% off just for being a listener of this show at aeropress.com slash zero to travel. That's aeropress, A-E-R-O-P-R-E-S-S dot com slash zero to travel. That will save you 20% on checkout. Thanks to Aeropress for supporting today's show. Hey, it's Jason here. Did you know you are invited to join the first ever Zero to Travel community trip? Yes, we're planning a trip together. We're headed to Morocco November 30th through December 9th. And you can get all the details at zerototravel.com slash trip. It's open for booking now. We have 13 spots left at the time of this recording. And you have until the end of March to book. So if you're interested in traveling with an amazing community, this community, a small group of people on an incredible journey through Morocco together with me. Sign up over there at zerototravel.com slash trip to get all the details. Thanks for listening and hope to see you there. Now let's get back to the show. We mentioned selling the businesses and I don't know if you guys were building these businesses with an exit strategy. I do know that, and maybe this is even more of a common trait among travelers, that whether it's your own business or working for somebody else, eventually you want to do something different, right? So it's not the worst idea to kind of build something with this idea that you may want to have something that you can sell one day if you ever don't want to do it. Did you guys intentionally build things to sell or did that just sort of happen? What is your advice around around that and, and building a business that you can sell and selling one for that matter? Yes. The three businesses that we sold, we intended to sell all of them, or maybe not even intended, but hoped is probably a better word. Because I think every time you're an entrepreneur building a business, you're like, I would love to sell this one day. But in the back of your head, you're like, but I have no idea how, and I don't know who would buy it or how much they would pay me. Um, So that's kind of been in our mind all this time. But for example, Heath's software company, his goal was not to build a great software company. It was to like build and sell a software company. And whenever we started our podcast, which we also sold, we talked about, you know, do we want it to be the Heath and Alyssa podcast? Do we want it to be like a branded podcast? Do we want the branded podcast to be the same as our URL, which was heathandalyssa.com? And we ultimately decided, you know what, let's keep this podcast completely separate from us as um, personal bloggers so that one day we can then sell it. And 
Um, so let's use that as an example. Whenever we were thinking about selling it, the biggest question was, you know, how much money is it bringing in annually? And is it bringing in recurring monthly income? Because if you've got monthly recurring revenue for any type of business, that's a great indicator on if someone is going to want to buy it. So we had some good money coming in monthly, but then we also had like spikes throughout the year of whenever we would sell a course or get a sponsor or host an event, um, all within like this podcast um, brand called RV Entrepreneur um, that would, that was bringing in enough money that we could approach a few different people and say, hey, we're thinking about selling this. Would you be interested I actually think he only reached out to one person and then he said yes. And we were like, okay, done. We're not going to go through the um, hassle of shopping, shopping around. We just kind of wanted to offload it and move on. But if you're thinking about selling a business, if you can have monthly recurring revenue and if you can have uh, an asset or multiple assets. So in the case of like our podcast, we also had courses. We also had events that we did. So we had multiple revenue streams. We had multiple ways for someone else to pick it up and continue to make money with it without us being attached to it because we had initially set it up with it being a little bit separate from us as people. And so I think that's like the biggest thing that he that I talked about. And that's something that Heath also learned when he sold his software company was, hey, whenever they bought the company, they also bought me. Because that's how buying a software company works is, you know, you you come on to the company that acquires you and you work as an employee because there needs to be this transition time of teaching them how the software works and all of that. And we didn't necessarily want that with um, the podcast and with any other businesses we sold. We wanted it to be kind of in a silo and then we could pass it off. Um, and so I feel like I just threw out a lot of things to keep in mind when, when selling a business, um, cause there are a lot of things to keep in mind, but yeah, if you could have those main things, then the hardest part is just really having the confidence to then push it out to multiple people and say, how much would you buy this for? Yeah, that's great advice. And, uh, the, especially from a branding perspective, right? Just kind of keeping it you mentioned in silos. I think that's a great way to think of it. And there's a nice visual there even to go along with that. I'm a visual thinker. The One of the businesses I want to talk about that you guys got into where you, because I, I follow your work and I'm on your newsletter and everything like that. I love to follow what you guys are doing and you write such great stuff. So I, I thank you for that. Yeah, I encourage everybody to go sign up for your newsletter. And of course, the link in, is in the show notes. You know, you you bought this campground and you were going to turn it into this RV park and you had this great vision and there was a lot of enthusiasm there. At least that that was the sense I was getting from the writing. And then you decided to not do that and sell it. And I think that's amazing because it's okay to change your mind. Like, you know, I, I feel like you, you don't want to follow through on things when you start to realize, and sometimes that comes later or too late in some cases, depending on how you look at it and what happens financially. It sounds like things went okay for you guys. But the idea of letting something go, letting a dream go is a topic that doesn't come up super often. But uh, you know, since it's so fresh for you guys, I wanted to 
hear about your experience of having this dream, attaining it in a way and starting to take the steps and then deciding that it wasn't for you, which is great. And then actually taking action on that and sort of moving on with your life. Yeah, it was a a big emotional roller coaster because we had this dream to start a campground for four and a half years. Like we hosted a conference in early 2018 and we had this idea of we want to create a campground that has like a co-working space and is for digital nomads like us. And so for our conference, we set up like additional Wi-Fi repeaters and like had all these tables and coffee and beer and wine and all the things that you would think to have in like a trendy co-working space. And it went over like gangbusters. Like everyone loved it. We're like idea validated. We are starting this business. Um, And then I got pregnant and we were going to have a baby. And so we're like, okay, pause, have a baby. And then in 2019, we're like, okay, we're shopping for a campground. And then 2020, oh, okay, well, no one's traveling. So is this a good idea anymore? Kind of put a pause on it. And then it was like, oh, everyone's wanting to RV. Okay, let's get back into this idea. So it was kind of like up and down this whole time of if we were actually going to make this campground happen. And we closed on the property early um, 2021. I was pregnant again and starting to have doubts because I'm like, okay, I've got a two-year-old. I'm about to have another baby. Like I've been through this like whole pregnancy thing, newborn thing once before. It's a lot. And we heard something um, a couple years ago from a friend whenever we were trying to start another business when Ellie was a baby. And he was like, dude, you already have a baby at home. If you start another business, you're going to have another baby too. Like don't have two babies at the same time. If you could, you know, wait until one of them's a teenager, um, so to speak. And that analogy just really stuck with us of like, that's a really smart thing to say. Like, don't try to start too many new things at once. Like when we started doing the documentary and traveling and marriage all at the same time, it was a lot. And it's would be even more to, you know, add, kids and a brand new in-person physical build out of a campground on top of that. And so that was kind of in the back of my head whenever we closed on the campground and we hosted a conference at the property and we were hosting campers at the property. um, And what is it called? Drawing up the, like the designs. Yeah. 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 The, the civil engineering we were working with civil engineers and like we were working with the county and like getting things permitted and approved. And I like really was not feeling in it. I was really starting to feel overwhelmed. Like the baby wasn't even here yet. And I just could feel like this was about to be a huge thing that we were going to be sinking millions of dollars of small business loans into. And Heath saw a tweet from a real estate agent that I'm going to just butcher and paraphrase it that basically said, just a reminder, buying a property and getting it rezoned and selling it is a great way to make money. And we were like, what if we sold this right now and actually didn't have to be on the hook for these giant loans, didn't have to deal with building a campground while I've got like a baby strapped to me. And just said, you know what? We're going to take a break for a little while and go to Italy. 
And that's what we ended up doing. It was kind of like this giant 180 from like, we'd spent years wanting to build this campground. Like we had the civil engineering blueprints up. We'd already even hosted boondocking campers on the property and heard just amazing things from people who had come to the area and camped with us. And we are just like, you know what? We have a chance right now where the real estate market is insane in the States. And we were able to sell it, pay the civil engineers and all the people that we had hired to, you know, make the plans and everything. And just kind of close the door on that chapter and say, you know what, like we might want to open a campground someday still, but it's just not the time right now. So we're going to put that dream aside and say, maybe when our kids are in school, then we want to build a campground or maybe by then we will have graduated and Heath will want to build a chain of hotels across the state. I have no idea. That's, that's the problem for future and Alyssa to figure out, but there's so many things in, in life that sometimes the timing just doesn't work out and things have changed whenever you actually have the opportunity to pursue it. And uh, it took a lot for us to figure, to really come to the decision and say, you know what, this was a great dream. It served us for a few years. We had a lot of fun, you know, dreaming about it and making plans, but it's just not the time. Yeah. That goes back to what you were saying about the seasons thing, right? It just, just kind of having an awareness around where you're at and, you know, easier said than done sometimes, right? When you have had a dream for years, you almost can get married to it in some ways. And in some ways, at least for me, it it can become part of your identity, right? Like this is my dream. This is what I'm going for. This is what we're working towards. And then it's starting to happen. And then to, to pump the brakes on that and to reassess is takes a lot of sort of awareness and just uh, guts in, in many ways. So congratulations to you guys to, to just kind of um, go through that whole process and actually get to the place that you want to be and the literal place you wanted to be because you're in Italy right now. <laughs> <laughs> we are. We are. Like I Huge said, congrats. 180. <laughs> Thank you. So, yeah, I... Before I let you go, I mean, we have to talk a little bit destinations, right? Travel show. (laughs) Off the beaten path places was something I wanted to hear because especially overland travel, I feel like there can be unique opportunities along the way, pulling off and, and kind of spontaneous things, you know, on road trips or, you know, could be stuff in Europe. I know you guys have done the camper van thing in, in New Zealand, you got the whole world here to to draw from. So I was just wondering, what are some of your favorite off the beaten path kind of sneaky destinations where you're like, you know what? This is incredible. More people should know about this. <laughs> oh man. So many places come to mind. The first one, um, you know, since we're talking the whole world here is in Italy. Like, I don't know if this is the case for Europeans listening But in the States, no one has heard of the Dolomites. No one knows of this mountain range up here in the the Venice area. And whenever um, we did Italy in the camper van, we got um, a fair drop deal that was like round trip from the States to Venice for like $400. So we're like, okay, we are going to go to Venice and somewhere else in Italy. And just looking at the map, I saw... Dolomiti, you know, Parco Naturale or, or 
or I think it's, I think it's like a national park. And I like, you know, clicked on the Google images and I was like, oh my gosh, how is not, how is like everybody not talking about this place? It was just absolutely mind blowing, gorgeous. And there's so much camping up in that area. Like whenever, I think we spent like a week and a half just in that part of Italy before we, we, we moved on and we were like, yeah, we could have spent a month or two just driving around the mountains and all these tiny, tiny Italian towns that all speak German because Austria is right there. <laughs> nice. It's fascinating. What are some other spots? All right, let's go to the States. Um, off the beaten path. I'm always so hesitant to like say off the beaten path things because I'm like, I don't want, I don't want a lot of people to go there. Like, come on. Um, but we absolutely loved Portland, Maine, which is a small like city um, in Maine. Maine doesn't have a lot of um, cities, but just north of, of Portland, it's all very coastal and beaches and then just inland you've got um mountains and um bar harbor national park is a few hours north but that whole like stretch of coast i think it's like highway one is just unspoiled beauty and we spent like two or three months one summer in maine and we tell each other all the time like we need to go back there. We need to, I don't know, buy a vacation home out there, build a campground out there, like something that makes us go spend every single summer and fall um, on the coast of Maine. Nice. All right. Can you give me one more? Those are two great ones. You're killing it. Okay. (laughs) Let's go. Let's go inland. Okay. I'm going to say something that's like heavily biased. Because this is where we bought our house in Colorado. It's they call it the Western Slope of Colorado. Um, which if you just take a second to think about it, it's like, okay, Colorado is like a square and like there's a line of mountains and we're on like the slope downward to the west. <laughs> um and in this little pocket of mountains, there's kind of like two mountain ranges that come together. And there's a road called Owl Creek Pass, which is a national forest road. It's only open probably not even half of the year because of snow and conditions. Um, but there is all sorts of camping for like vans and overlanding, like smaller vehicles only, definitely not RVs, um, to pull over and camp. And we've driven the road a couple of times and it's just streams and creeks and meadows and lakes and like great for a day trip great for spending a few days in the rv off or not in the rv in the jeep or something off the grid and just spending time in nature whenever we are in our home in colorado it's like anytime people visit us It's like, okay, we're going to go drive Owl Creek Pass and we're going to go bring a picnic and go to the lake and all all the things. It's gorgeous. Awesome. I love it. Isn't it such a joy when you you travel and then you get somebody gives you these great experiences and then somebody comes to visit you and you get to give them that travel experience and take them somewhere you love. And it's so fulfilling. 
Thank you so much for your time. You know, the, this book, I'll, I'll quote it. He said, is, is not a detailed account of all 50 states with things to do or places to visit, but an honest account of what it's like RVing across America. New friends, breakdowns, bear encounters, and all. So if you want to check it out, again, the link here in the show notes uh, and the the website as well, your website. And uh, yeah, I mean, the book's RVing across America, I should mention, A Quest to Visit All 50 States. Any other parting words of wisdom for us before we let you go or anything else you want to share? Where I'm trying to think of like, no, a good word of wisdom. I don't, I think I've used up all of my <laughs> wisdom in the past hour, but thank you for just having me on. This was, this was fun. I haven't gotten to talk about the book too much yet. I've just been busy, you know, writing it and um, chasing after a two-year-old. So this has been um, an awesome adult conversation for me. <laughs> awesome. I know the feeling. And I'm still I'm still <laughs> pining for, uh, you know, Heath mentioned a potential house swap. I said, oh, uh, hey, I'm down for that, guys. You know, I'm, I'm a big Colorado fan. So well, we have to it's, talk about it's that. It's in my phone. I already had in my phone. I want to be in Norway, June 2023. And then it's perfect. It's perfect. I'll give you a little tour later. So, all right. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for your time and we'll be in touch. Sounds great. Thank you. Take care. There you have it. Thank you so much to Alyssa Paget for taking her time to come on the show. I know they had just arrived in Italy, probably still a little jet lagged, especially traveling with two kids. So thank you so much. And I appreciate all the advice, the wisdom, the the hard-earned lessons that you shared from your story. What do you think? Are you going to build out a quest or create some kind of framework for one of your future trips? What did you think about that concept? Have you done it before? Perhaps you have. Let me know. You can drop me a line, jason at zerototravel.com. You can leave me a voicemail over on the voicemail box. In fact, my shout out today is going to be from the Zero to Travel voicemail box. We should come up with a snazzy name for that, by the way. If you have any ideas, let me know. I can't think of one offhand. Let's see, the uh, the magic box? I don't, I don't know. That's lame. Anyway, if you think of something, let me know. I'm going to play this uh, clip I got from Ari who's out there traveling the world. And here's what she had to say. Hi, Jason. Um, I'm Ari. I go by Ari's Travel Sphere. And I just recently started listening to your podcast on a daily basis. I've solo traveled on and off for about the past four years. Um, I like usually go to Europe, stay there for about a couple months going around. And I've always kind of felt off or like I was, you know, I was traveling at first from a broken heart and I feel fully recovered now. And I recently just started traveling again, like literally about a month ago. And I just, I right now I'm in Amsterdam and I've been just trying to figure out my routine and I've personally made listening to your podcast in the morning my daily habit. And it honestly helps me so much because I do very much feel like I don't meet that many people that understand me or think like me. And I love waking up and listening to other people who feel and think the same way as me. And 
like just listening to this podcast, like coming up with habits, I do want to make it my habit to listen to your podcast in the morning, just to start my day, just so that I feel like I'm not alone so that I know that there are other people out there that feel like me. Thank you, Ari. And yeah, of course, I appreciate if you're going to make my podcast, my little podcast, the uh, one of the things that kickstarts your day. Obviously, that's truly an honor. But regardless, just starting your day, that idea of starting your day with something that kind of puts you in the right mindset, I think is a great thing. Sometimes for me, that's a podcast. Sometimes uh, for me, it's like a TED Talk or something else. I don't always do it. You have inspired me to kind of consider making that part of my daily morning routine again, just to kind of start with something that reminds me that I'm not alone or share some new perspectives that I hadn't thought about or just gets me in a positive mindset. So I really appreciate that this show is that for you. And I played this shout out specifically. I wanted to share this one from Ari because the big thing for her was just tapping in and knowing that she's uh, out there solo traveling, but she is around and a part of a broader community, like she said, of like-minded people here as a, as a listener of the podcast. And I'm sure out there in her travels too. And that is huge. And that was one of the big things that came up in this interview, right? With Alyssa's turning point when they had their <laughs> broken refrigerator and all that stuff. And they decided to take the trip to Nashville and just get around to other people. And, and that led to so much for them in their lives and they still have best friends from from that and and all that and it's just that simple act of making the intention to get around some like-minded folks who uh, will support you and who give you a certain feeling that hey this you know you can kind of know intuitively right like hey these people I feel good being around this vibe this energy these people you want to be around more of that you want to have as much of that in your life as possible and I think that's a uh, especially valuable if you're out there solo traveling in, in, in terms of uh, on the travel side and, and you need to connect, you want to plug in. Now there are so many ways to plug into communities around the world uh, through social media and you know the digital nomad community. Even if you're not working for yourself, there's all these co-working spaces and um, just ways to plug in expats and, and things like that. But there's also ways to plug in to the local communities there, and, and you can do that in your own unique way. And that's where I think your style of travel and, and your, your energy, your space in a community is so unique. And you never know how that is going to lead you to be included in certain things just because of your presence and, and the way you walk through the world, the unique things that you have to offer as an individual that's where the magic happens, right? You may get invited to uh, somebody's home for dinner or you may just meet uh, some locals that, that take you to a party or just have a nice conversation with you out on the street, whatever. And those things happen from just being open and bringing your unique energy to a place in a moment, in that moment. And it's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. So... Perhaps, after hearing this show, you were also reminded, as I was, how important it is to get around other people and get around the people that make you feel good. It's that simple. All right, before I let you go, a couple things. There is going to be a quote, but I have to share with you the first RV-like vehicle. I looked this up. At first, I was trying to find 
the largest RV ever created. And I found this double decker RV and some crazy custom vehicles <laughs> that people made, but I couldn't really pin down uh, one that was the biggest in the world. And it really depended on how you defined an RV. Now, this first RV-like vehicle, I'm saying that because it wasn't an RV, but it was a vehicle with a bed. And I will share the source because I, I, you know, let's face it, I didn't spend hours <laughs> researching this, but I found something and this seemed pretty legit to me. And I really can't think of anything older and you'll understand why in a moment. This was on insider.com and in the 1910s, there was a modified Model T Ford Roadster. They're saying it was the first RV-like vehicle in history because it had a quote-unquote telescope apartment which had a bed built onto the back of what was a, a regular car. And this exact vehicle, there's a picture of it, I can put the link in the show notes, is now on display at the RV and Motor Vehicle Hall of Fame in Elkhart, Indiana. I didn't know there was an RV and motor home or motor vehicle hall of fame. So many different museums out there to see. <laughs> Who knew? Anyway, I thought that was really cool because even that early, you're talking about a Model T? A Model T? Weren't those the first cards? Anyway, somebody thought to put a bed on it. They're like, hey, what if I just put a bed on this and, and I can travel and just sleep in my car? This is like the original van life. 1910s. There you go. I thought that was cool. Anyway, let me leave you with a quote now. And I was inspired to look up some broken heart quotes from Ari's message, our community shout out. She said she had started traveling when she was mending a broken heart and she got over it. And I thought, hmm, well, maybe there are some people out there either with a, a broken heart right now or, and that could be for anything, could be because of a relationship or, or something else. And I thought, let me look up some quotes here and see what people have to say around this. So I, I found a couple nice one here. One is from Karen Salmonson, who said, never let a bad person change your inner goodness. I love that. And one more from Jean de la Fontaine, who said, sadness flies away on the wings of time. And maybe for some of us, we could say it also flies away on the wings of an airplane <laughs> for us travel lovers. Who knows? Anyway, that's all I got for you today. So thanks for listening. Smile. Take a chance today. Have a great day. And uh, see you next time. Peace and love. This podcast has been brought to you by ZeroToTravel.com. Ideas and advice to make your travel dreams a reality.